turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter number 5. Ephesians chapter number 5. At this time, our bridge kids are dismissed. This is for our elementary age students, grades K through 5. Your teachers are eagerly waiting for you at the back. They are ready for you. They have a Sunday school lesson appropriate for your age group. And so you are dismissed at this time. Ephesians chapter number 5, beginning with verse number 3, and we'll go through number 14. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning with verse number 3. If you don't have a physical copy of God's Word on your phone, um, we do have it on the screen. You are welcome to share it, uh, uh, follow along with us on the screen. Ephesians chapter number 5, beginning with verse number 3 says, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, excuse me, or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. This morning, we're going to talk about sex. Thank you, thank you, thank you very much. All right, now that I have your attention, that's my introduction. Let's jump right in. We remember from the beginning of Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, the theme, the main idea of chapters 4 through 6 is for us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling in which we have been called. This is about our lifestyle based on our new identity, our new creation of how Christ has saved us. And so now Paul is teaching us how to walk in a manner worthy of the calling in which we have been called. In last week's word, uh, we, Paul told us to walk in love. This week he says walk in light. Two points this morning. Let me give them to you. First of all, Paul says to us clearly, to walk in light means no sexual immorality. 
no sexual immorality. Verse 3, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness, covetousness must not even be named among you. The word sexual immorality in the Greek, it's one word, porneia. It's where we get our English word, pornography. However, this term, as it is used in the Bible, is much more comprehensive. This word porneia involves any kind of illegitimate sexual activity. Paul has, will indicate when we study uh, chapter 5, verse 31, he will show us that the appropriate context for sexual relations is in the covenant bond of marriage. In Ephesians chapter 5, 31, he quotes Genesis 2, 24, where it says, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be bonded to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Covenant language. Friends, this, what I just recited, is God's design for God-glorifying, holy, sanctified sex. We don't normally use those words when we think about sex. All right, by the way, let's get over this. I'm going to say sex a lot. Sex, 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 sex. All right, we all good now? We will be. We must realize that sex can be God-glorifying, holy, and sanctified. I will never forget the way my, when my wife looked at me, I said, hey, let's be holy. We're married. <laughs> yeah, Lord. It's good for our sanctification. But sex is a gift from God for us to carry out the mandate that he gave us at the very beginning. Be fruitful and multiply. Sex is a good thing when it's done God's way. It's glorifying. It's holy. And, it can, and it's sanctifying when it's done God's way. Outside of this relationship, any sexual activity is porneia. Sexual immorality. So it involves fornication, adultery, prostitution, incest, and the like. And Paul says that for the saints, this is strictly prohibited. Not only is sexual immorality to be avoided, but he says all impurity. By listing all impurity, Paul moves beyond the physical acts of sexual immorality to other forms of illicit sexual behavior. So this all impurity includes what we think, what we see, what we read, friends, this is actually a hard truth for the church today. But it's a timely and necessary truth for the church. 
One of the greatest sexual sins in the church today is pornography in both visual and written form. It's a form of sexual immorality, impurity. And Paul says, this is not becoming of a child of God. For those of us who may not struggle with pornography, we still have to be careful of what we watch. And friends, this, this is extremely hard. Sex sells, they say, so it's everywhere we turn. Television, the big screen at the movie theater, in magazines, in books, on Facebook, on Instagram. It's everywhere. So remaining chaste and pure can be extremely difficult. Nevertheless, Paul says, avoid it. Don't do it. Cut it out. And friends, this may require some extraordinary measures. It may mean unfollowing certain individuals on social media. I've had to do it myself. There are some people who are vulgar and explicit in their posts, and I just had to unfollow them. Not because I think I'm better for them, because I know Brandon. So this is not a sermon I'm preaching to y'all. This is something I'm preaching to us. So you may have to unfollow certain people on social media to remain holy. It may require hard conversations with people who send you illicit messages and pictures via email, phone, text, whatever it may be. Sexting is unbecoming of a child of God, both sending and receiving. You keep being quiet, you're going to tell on yourself. It may require you to be held accountable through software like Covenant Eyes that tracks and reports illicit internet sites to your accountability partners. It may even mean telling someone you love and want to marry that you have to stop having sex until you get married. You can't, you can't be the priest of your home or the, the, the future priest of your home with the idea that as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. But in this area, I'm going to be Lord. So now every time I counsel a couple, and if this is a sin struggle of theirs, I tell them, you got to cut it out. You have to have a period of time where you demonstrate to yourselves, but mostly to God, that you are willing to do it his way, henceforth, now and forever. By the way, I know from experience that this is easier to preach than it is to do. But nevertheless, we got to do it. Friends, whatever it takes, 
kill the sin. As John Owen said, be killing sin or it will be killing you. He said, no sexual immorality, no impurity. And he says, or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Now, we're getting to the heart of the matter when he talks about coveting. Friends, to covet is to want something that doesn't belong to you. At the root of all sexual immorality and impurity is a desire to have something that doesn't belong to you. As I said earlier, there's nothing wrong with sex in the context of marriage. For in marriage, our bodies belong to our spouse. 1 Corinthians 7 and 4. Sex inside of marriage is a good thing. Let me rewind. Sex inside of a marriage is a great thing. But to look at a man or a woman that is not our spouse and to desire and to the desire to do things with them that should only be done in the context of marriage is covetous. And Paul says that must not even be named among you. When he says that they are not to be named, he's saying that outsiders who observe our daily behavior should never have an opportunity to name one of these vices as characterizing the lifestyle of any believer. In the same way, insiders should never be able to see any fellow believer committing any of these sinful practices. Paul gives us the reason for this at the end of verse 3. Here's what he says, last clause. As is proper among saints. The reason we don't do these things is not because God is some cosmic killjoy. It's because we are saints. Saints, we are holy ones. We've been set apart from the world. Thus, Paul is simply teaching us that we are to do what we are. We are saints now. And saints shouldn't live like the ants. Friends, it is beneath the dignity of a saint to indulge in the sins that belong to the world. We belong to another world. And Paul's concern is that believers order their lives in ways that are consistent with their new identity in Christ. So Paul says, no sexual immorality or, impure, or all impurity or covetousness is, must not even be named among us. But then he moves from our conduct in verse 3 to our speech in verse 4. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking which are out of place. In other words, no dirty jokes, 
Friends, what we say matters. Jesus said it this way, what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And that is what defiles a person. Words reveal the heart. Paul says, rather than talking dirty, our, heart, our, our hearts and our words are to be characterized by thankfulness. We should be known as people of praise, people who are grateful. Covetousness is taking. And Paul says, rather than taking what is not ours, we should be thankful for what God has given to us. And so we ought to replace filthy, worldly minds with a mind filled with gratitude to God. And it is our gratitude that is to be the motivating force for aligning our lives around his purposes. Why are we to be thankful? Because we are unlike those still trapped in a life characterized by sin. We have an inheritance in the kingdom. We are heirs of an eternal kingdom. And we are to order our lives, live our lives like citizens of that kingdom. Be thankful. Paul refers to the kingdom here in a very unusual manner. Normally, he refers to the kingdom as the kingdom of God. However, here, it is referred to as both the kingdom of Christ and God. I believe what Paul is doing here is he is referring to the dual stages of the kingdom the present and the future aspects of the kingdom. It's what theologians call the already but not yet aspect of the kingdom. When Jesus came the first time, he ushered in the kingdom. The, the present, this, we, the first stage is the present reign of Christ in which he redeems a people for himself and empowers them in their struggle against their enemies, including sin, flesh, the world, spiritual powers, and death. And at the end of Christ's present reign, he will completely and finally defeat the rebellious powers and present the kingdom to his father. This act will usher in the future and final manifestation of the kingdom of God when believers receive their full inheritance, enjoy living in the presence of God the Father and the Son. So Paul says, as people of the kingdom of Christ and God, we should live according to that reality, that world, rather than this world. All for his church to be kingdom-minded. All for his church to have a kingdom perspective. All for his church to be loyal to his kingdom. Above all kingdoms. Jesus himself said, my kingdom is not of this world. 
Oh, how we need to be reminded of that, saints. Our, our kingdom is not of this world. What we need is for the church to be true ambassadors of another world, of another kingdom. So, we avoid sexual immorality. Here's the, that was the command. Now we're in the reasons. The first reason is because we, those who practice this lifestyle, do not have an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. That's the reason. Now, he's not saying that if you uh, commit this sin, then you're, you're immediately going to hell. No, what he's talking about is people who persist in this way of living, who continue in this way of living. This, they are characterized by this way of living. This way of living proves that they are not saved and thus have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. And so Paul's argument is that since you do have an inheritance in the kingdom of God, live like it now. Because the kingdom is not just in the sweet by and by, it's in the here and now. It's already, but not yet. He gives us a second reason why we should avoid sexual immorality. Verse 6, because God's wrath comes upon the sons of disobedience. He starts verse 6 by saying, let no one deceive you with empty words. And friends, let me tell you, the world and maybe one another, we will try to tell one another that what we're doing really is not that wrong. It makes sense. It feels right. You love one another. Or you're not actually doing it, you're just watching it. So we'll even try to get real biblical and theological with it. We are saved by grace. So a little sin won't hurt. And Paul says this is a lie. God's wrath is coming. In particular, it's coming on the sons of disobedience. But believers are not sons or children of disobedience. Rather, we are children of God. We're just saying this. We're no longer slaves to fear. I'm a child of God. Then act like it. We're not objects of God's wrath. We're objects of his love. But it's because he loves us first that we love him back. And we show our love by obeying his commands. And so since we are not children of disobedience, but rather children of God, verse 7, Paul says, Therefore do not become partners with them. We are not to participate with the unredeemed in the sinful practice of sexual immorality. Don't join them. Be separate. So that's the first point. No sexual immorality. Second, walk in the light or walk in light. Verses 8 through 14. Again, Paul gives us reasons for his prohibitions. I love this because, friends, 
Rules without understanding lead to rebellion. Parents, rules without understanding lead to rebellion. Don't just tell them what they can't do. Tell them why they can't do it. And so Paul gives us the rules, but he helps with our understanding as well. He says, we as Christians don't participate in this kind of living because, verse 8, we were darkness, but now we are light in the Lord. Friends, let, read this closely. Read this closely. He does not say we were in darkness. He says, no, 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 no. We were darkness. In other words, Paul is saying, this is at the core of your, of your very being before you were a Christian. You were just dark. That's who you were by nature. You were darkness, not just in darkness. Because if we were just in darkness, we would think that we were just good people who just happened to stumble in the darkness. No, 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 no. That's who we were. He says, that was then, but now you missed your shout. He said, at one time you were in darkness, but now. The reason I'm about to come off this stage is because Paul is saying that that's not who you are now. You have been changed. You have been transformed. You are a new creation in Christ. Come back, come back. Okay, maybe you need to have a, a, maybe you are suffering from spiritual amnesia this morning. Maybe you forgot who you were at one time. But thanks be to God, you have a but now moment in your life. <laughs> I'm not what I used to be. I have been changed since the Lord saved me. Okay, I'll just shout all by myself. I know who Brandon used to be. Y'all don't know. I ain't finna tell y'all. <laughs> y'all gonna think y'all better than me. Uh-uh. But let me tell you, I used to be a low-down, dirty shame. Yeah, yeah. But now, I'm a new creation. I still got my struggles, y'all, but I am saved. I've been, uh, I'm a new man in Christ. At one time, but now, Christ made all the difference, church. Listen, y'all, if y'all knew me when I, who I used to be before Christ, uh, shoot, if y'all knew me even with some of my sins in Christ, you'd be scared of me. Y'all think I'm playing. Everybody thinks I'm this big hug. I, I'm just this big bear that you want to hug. Oh, yeah, I'm a bear, all right. Without Christ, my anger would be intolerable. Without Christ, I would be unfit to be your shepherd. Without Christ, you wouldn't want to know me. Without Christ, I would be in El Dorado, the, the, the correctional facility. Without Christ, that's at one time, but now. I'm no longer chained to sin. I am victorious. At one time. 
I would have had a bunch of little babies running around here. You're looking at somebody who has to be intentional about his eyes and his ears and his heart because one of my sin struggles, friends, I'll just tell it, I'll confess to you, one of my sin struggles is lust at one time. But now, I still have to struggle with it, but now I can be victorious over it. Because of Christ. We were darkness, but now we are light. This is who we are now. And it's not because of our own goodness that we are light. It's because we are light in the Lord. <laughs> we are light because of our union with Christ. We are light because we have been united by faith to the one who is the light of the world. And Paul's point here is simply, church, we have a new identity but friends, this new identity comes with new responsibility. And that responsibility is to walk in light. We are to walk or live in a way that is consistent with who we are in Christ. And Paul says, as we do this, this way of life, verse 9, will be marked by goodness, righteousness, and truth, goodness, that's love and action. Remember, we've been saved unto good works. Righteousness, that's rightness of character and rightness of actions in God's eyes. And truth is conformity to the will of God. It's in contrast to deception, hypocrisy, falsehood. And as children of light, we naturally desire to do what pleases the Lord. And friends, that's what we must remember when we fight against sexual temptation. Don't please ourselves. Please the Lord. Okay, parentheses. That's a word... For all the people pleasers in the room. Please the Lord. Please the Lord. And people will have to deal with the consequences. But please the Lord first. How, how then do we walk in light? I'm glad you asked. Verse 10. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness but instead expose them. For it is, it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. We take no part in darkness because darkness and light cannot coexist. Light has no business with darkness. Therefore, we take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. We stay away from evil. Instead, as light, we expose the darkness. Friends, the, the Word of God says that darkness hates light. Matter of fact, darkness hides from light. Sins are done in secret, and sinners want them to remain in secret. By the way, that's why isolation is so dangerous for the Christian. Sin loves isolation. Sin feeds and grows off of isolation. 
to fight sin. Church, you need others. It's in the book. Confess your sin to one another. You need community to fight sin. So he says, expose it. Light exposes darkness. Dark deeds become visible in the light. And we expose darkness by our character and our conduct. We bring God's light into a dark world. We show the darkness that they are in darkness by the light of our holy lives. If my Pentecostal brothers right now, they'd be shouting because I, I'm about to, what I'm about to say, holiness is still right. Amen. See, I told you. Light reveals God, light produces fruit, but light also exposes what is wrong. We bring to light the sin of the world. And the purpose of bringing this inappropriate conduct to light is not punitive, but restorative. The purpose of the exposure is to bring conviction and correction. We're about to go. I I need to hang there just a minute because we don't like to talk about church discipline. We don't like to talk about church, what I like to call church restoration. But friend, this is still right in the eyes of God. It was given to us by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Church discipline is not to be punitive, it's to be restorative. The purpose of church discipline is for your sanctification. I'll admit, this, that's the part of my job I hate the most. I, I, it's not something I enjoy, but it's something I have to be faithful to. And it's something that's for your good, our good. Conviction and correction. And friends, exposing the light is not does not come about just by what we say, but it's also about how we live. We, we, the church has a lot to say about sin in the world. We have a lot to say about darkness. Friends, my first sermon, I shared this line. And I'm going to just give this to you and then we're done. Secret sin on earth is open scandal in heaven. And what's done in secret will come to the light. So then how do we respond? I'm glad you asked. Simple. It's all in the text. Just read it. Walk in light. Jesus would say something like this, let your light so shine before men so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Let's illuminate the darkness through our holy living. As we prepare to leave, 
Somebody else needs to simply respond to this word by realizing that you are darkness. That's who you are. You are sinner. And what you deserve is eternal separation from God in hell. There is someone who reigns over darkness. Satan, the evil one. That's his dominion. So what you need to do is to come into the light. The light of the world. Jesus. He is the light of the world. God stands ready to rescue you from the domain of darkness. And he wants to transfer you into the kingdom of his son. If you want to be rescued today from this domain of darkness, and all of us are in one of two places, darkness or light, there's no other options. And without Jesus, you're in darkness. So if you want to be rescued from the darkness today, you must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, the light of the world. Believe that he, the son of God, took on your darkness on a cross. He hung, bled, and died for your sin. He took your death penalty. When he was there on the cross, even the sun, S-U-N, was shamed. It refused to shine. Darkness was over the earth because Jesus became what we were at the cross. But it didn't stay dark because by the early Sunday morning, the son, the S-O-N, got up from the grave with all power in his hands and gave the death blow to sin, Satan, and death so that we could inherit the kingdom. So what the response for somebody in this room today is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, to be rescued from the dark. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your word. God, thank you for rescuing us from the domain of darkness and transferring us into the kingdom of your beloved son. Thank you that we have an inheritance in the kingdom of God. God, empower us to live as citizens of the kingdom of God. Help us to bring honor to our king. God, remind us on a daily basis that we are your children. And as your children, we are to bring honor to you, our heavenly father. God, someone in this room is struggling with sexual immorality. God, I pray that you would deliver them from whatever form that sexual immorality may be. 
Convict us. Change us. Help us, God, to bring glory to you in our bodies because our bodies are not our own. They've been bought with the price, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. So, Father, thank you for the blood. But, God, help us to honor your body, our body. Help us, God, to submit and be humble to loving correction from our brothers and sisters in Christ. God, give us a disdain for unholy and unhealthy privacy and isolation. Help us to be people who are ashamed of our sin. Help us, God, to confess our sins to one another. Father, we love you. We thank you for this time that we've spent together praising and worshiping and glorifying you. We pray that our worship is acceptable to you. Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand.